We build charging depots, and those depots can charge anywhere from 50 to 200 trucks at a time. Those depots can be full of trucks 24-7. They're staffed. They're in secure lots. They have technicians on site. And we also offer trucks. And so the service that we provide is both charging and truck as a service. What we give people is a truck at a fixed price per month with maintenance, security, and fuel that is competitive for the price of diesel. Welcome to the Entrepreneurs for Impact podcast. My name is Chris Wedding. As a former environmental private equity investor, four times founder, climate tech CEO, coach, and professor, I launched this podcast to share the entrepreneurial journey, practical tips, and hard-earned wisdom from CEOs and investors tackling climate change. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. This is the number one way that listeners can learn more about the climate CEOs and investors I interview. All right, let's get started. My guest today is Matt LeDuc, co-founder and CEO of Forum Mobility. Forum Mobility is tackling greenhouse gas emissions at California's largest ports, as well as local air pollution causing asthma and cancer in neighborhoods near these ports. They provide zero emission trucks and electric charging for one monthly price. They also recently signed a $400 million joint venture with CBRE Investment Management and have raised over $22 million in venture capital to date. In addition, Matt is the former executive director at NextEra Energy Resources, VP at Yingli Green Energy Holdings, and VP at SunTech. In this episode, we talked about how communities near ports suffer twice the risk of cancer and asthma, the billions of dollars to be invested in electrifying transportation within ports, also known as drayage, how policy drivers such as California's advanced clean fleets is influencing a massive vehicle turnover within the next 12 years, how Forum's trucks as a service model works kind of like a solar PPA, a.k.a. power purchase agreement, lessons he's bringing from working at giant multi-hundred billion dollar companies, energy companies, to his fast-growing startup, how they're convincing early adopters to sign up as customers by providing benefits outside of their core product offering, why investors love their business model and the power of de-risking revenue streams, the thrill of disorder and insanity within startups, how we grow with the edges of our comfort zones, and a whole lot more. Hope you enjoyed, and please give Matt and Forum a shout out on LinkedIn, Slack, or Twitter by sharing this podcast with your people. Thanks. All right, Matt LaDuke, co-founder and CEO of Forum Mobility. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Chris. Happy to be here. So, I think it may surprise listeners to know that a company focused on drayage, which many don't know what in the hell that even means, a company focused on that raised or has raised over $20 million at the corporate level and announced just a giant, wonderfully giant JV of $400 million to kind of finance this, this rollout in late January. So, Tell us, what, what in the world is this big opportunity that investors are so eager 
to explore, and many many can't can't pronounce. Uh, Matt. <laughs> yeah. So I'll, I'll I'll give everybody a little. Tip. Dredge is if you look out at the harbor and you see those ships coming in, the, the dredge that we are focused on, it's the movement of goods from ports to distribution centers or warehouses, and a lot of that's done on containers. And just to put in perspective, I mean, moving containers in and out of the ports in California, those trucks go about a billion miles a year, and they emit more than three billion pounds of carbon. And dredge is you know one of those little tiny parts of the supply chain that nobody knows about, but it impacts every single one of our lives. It's also really unique in that you have here in the state of California, 33,000 trucks to go in and out of ports, which means you have 33,000 trucks to go right past the same neighborhoods every single day. And so that's why California has ordered Grace to become zero emission over the next 12 years because those neighborhoods have double the risk of cancer. They have double the risk of asthma. And it's some of the worst air. When you look at the air maps, you just look at a port and you look directly next to that port and you'll see the NOx and the asthma rates, unfortunately, corresponding really negatively to that. And so you have this massive kind of fragmented industry and dredge combined with these neighborhoods that need the transition. And so here in California, it is a mandated conversion. Every drainage truck must be zero emission in this state, the state that has over 40% of our imports um, and all those goods that move in and out of ports are going to have to be zero emission over the next 12 years. And it really starts in earnest next year with thousands of trucks turning over as well. So it's a, it's a, it's a little thing that I candidly, Chris, like I hadn't even known what the hell drainage meant three years ago. Uh, and we started this company just over two years ago. And now um, <laughs> I'm well, I'm well briefed on drainage these days. Yeah, that's incredible. So many places to go with that. So 12 years, that's for all new drainage vehicles or all vehicles to be electric? So California passed something called Advanced Clean Fleets. And ACF is the acronym that it's known by here in California. But I think it's relevant for everybody, no matter what state you listen to. Like Over the next several years, there will be many more states that adopt ACF or something of, of the likes. And ACF has done something where it mandates a whole bunch of fleets, not just drainage, but trucking as a whole. The box trucks, fleets over 50 trucks, and all of them have different compliance schedules. Drainage is one where if your truck starting next year is a 2009 model engine or older, it must be removed from the registry and, and trucks may only be replaced by a zero emission truck. And so what the drainage registry does in California is it kind of manually attrits trucks off the registry by both their model engine year, as well as the mileage on the truck. So additionally, if a truck has over 800,000 miles, it just must come off the registry at that point. And any new entries into the drainage registry have to be zero emissions starting in 2024. So you'll have this kind of mandatory turnover of the drainage fleet on a year-to-year basis. Right. So I think I think for listeners who understand what's going on here, the, the, the fun term would be a, a regulatory inflection point right? That I'm sure you all were aware in some form was coming, which maybe led you all to say, yeah, yeah, of all the options we could pick to start a new company that is, you know, for profit and in tackling climate change, this is this is the one, you know? Yeah. I mean, I spent a long time at a company called NextEra. And I think one of the things that NextEra, who's the largest owner of wind and solar in the world, you know, and one of the things that you learn there 
when you're in the energy business is that you follow the policy. And to your point, exactly, Chris, like this, this was, you know, it meets a lot of things that are sustainable to me. And when I say sustainable, I mean like economically sustainable as well as environmentally. And you know, now you have a, a mandate, like I said, a policy inflection point. This has to happen and it cannot happen without services like forum mobilities. And it cannot happen without massive pools of third party capital. Like, and I'll put in perspective, like how much capital we're talking about in California. When you're talking about drainage in the 33,000 trucks, we're talking about roughly $10 billion of real estate are going to have to be taken up. About $10 billion worth of trucks are going to be, have to be purchased for just drainage and somewhere north of $5 billion of charging infrastructure just for drainage and just in the state of California is going to need to be implemented over the next 12 years to meet this mandate. And I did a little like fact finding to figure out what correlates to that. And it just so happens that the Manhattan project in today's adjusted dollars was about a $26 billion project when it was kicked off or when it was completed. I mean, so in California, it's truly a generational opportunity from an infrastructure standpoint, and it's a massive policy regulatory inflection point that's just going to kick off in a generational amount of infrastructure, capital, new businesses like ours. Um, it's going to be it's going to be a pretty wild next decade or two. Well, super exciting and a fun back of the envelope analogy to the scale of the Manhattan Project as well. You referenced earlier that this is also a social equity, health equity issue. I think the numbers you referenced were two times the cancer rate in the neighborhoods where these vehicles go in and out every day. Is that what I heard? What What is the major kind of cause? What What is the major maybe pollutant from these vehicles leading, if we know, leading to the increased cancer rate? Just maybe say more about the, the human side of this. Yeah, this is, this is the place where trade gets uniquely interesting and it gets uniquely complicated when you take environmental justice and economic justice. They're not perfectly aligned in this case around trade. From an environmental justice standpoint, you're correct. Wilmington, California, the community adjacent to the port of Long Beach has a 98% higher cancer rate than the broader LA basin. West Oakland has double the asthma rates as the greater Bay Area. And so from an environmental justice standpoint, I have no bones about saying that those communities are entitled in the year 2023 to a better quality of life than they have. The flip side of this is when you look at those 33,000 trucks that I mentioned before in drayage, 33,000 trucks, 80% of the drayage fleet in the state of California. And this is, by the way, this, you know, whether you're in Savannah, you're in Houston, you're in Jacksonville, you're in Seattle, Tacoma, it's pretty much like this everywhere that somewhere between three out of four and four out of five drayage trucks are an independent operator or a very small fleet of two or three trucks. Wow. And so what has normally and typically happened over the decades is that the drayage truck drivers, those are typically first or second hand trucks or second or third hand trucks, excuse me. And so what a lot of that drayage fleet looks like is men and women who saved up and they bought a used diesel truck and now they make a living moving containers out of the port of Oakland and run them to the Central Valley or out of the port of Long Beach and move them to the Inland Empire or out of Seattle and move them to Kent. This is a good career. This is a good job. People build businesses. But think about now what's being asked of that community, that fragmented community. These are not well-capitalized fleets. 
And when you look at the Dre success stories, and there are some really good ones, you'll see some of the big names like NFI and PPSI and Schneider. If anybody Googles those names in the word Dreage, they'll see announcements of really large charging projects that are happening. And those are great, but those are the minority. Those are, those are the very small, large fleets of the Dreage world. The most, most of that Dreage world is mom and pop shops moving our containers in and out of the ports. And that's where the economic justice and the environmental justice don't exactly line up. Because who do you think has the oldest and dirtiest trucks? It tends to be the smallest businesses. And now the smallest businesses are looking down the barrel at a $400,000 truck and having to be forced to figure out how to get those incentives, figure out what a low carbon fuel standard credit it is and how to, how to monetize a derivative and how to attract you know, a loan loss reserve from the state of California so they can get a lease. Like, it's a really hard process. And so I think the third party services like Forum Abilities and other folks like ours are going to be a way that we can make equity happen, both environmentally and economically for the small fleet. So it's, it's a really, like the last couple of years have been just fascinating as I've just peeled back the layers of policy, equipment, land, communities, pollution, ports. It's a really complicated problem to fix, but it's something that's got to get fixed by mandate. And I think the audience may be kind of intuiting what your business model is based on the problems that you've identified, but just let's lay it out. What, what is the product or service that Forum Mobility is offering to address this, this, these various problems that, that align here with Drayage? Yeah, so we build charging depots and those depots can charge anywhere from 50 to 200 trucks at a time. And so those depots can be full of trucks 24-7, they're staffed, they're in secure lots, they have technicians on sites, and we also offer trucks. And so the service that we provide is both charging and truck as a service. But at the end of the day, what we give people is a truck at a fixed price per month with maintenance, security, and fuel that is competitive for the price of diesel. And there's going to need to be a lot of charging. There's going to be need to be over two and a half gigawatts of charging, which Again, a frame of reference is the largest nuclear power plant in California is about two gigawatts. And so we're going to need a lot of depots to be built, many, many, many hundreds of depots in the state of California. But that's what we do at Forum Mobility. Now, when you first launched or as you first conceived of the business, were you focused on one of those versus the other? And at some point, did you say, hey, look, to be successful, we got to have both because I'm tired of... <laughs> I'm tired of talking about chicken and egg in the EV space. I'm actually proud to say that our business model has not changed one iota from the very moment we had the business. Mm. It was always to build large depots. It was always to finance trucks. It was always to provide a fixed price service to heavy-duty trucking operators. The only thing we ultimately honed in on is dredge. It was always going to be something. It was going to be some sort of vehicle class that we wanted to deliver at a fixed price per month in a third-party facility using third-party capital. But it was strange that we that kind of came last, but the business plan has been the business plan since we, we hatched the idea. Mm. Now, you referenced earlier that you come from the renewable space, next era, and otherwise. Maybe talk about your experience there and how it led you to this particular business model that eventually, of course, resulted in, in Dreage. Yeah, I mean, I think that next era, and I'll just say, I think we've all worked for companies where the more you peel back the onion, the more, you know, 
perhaps the more confused you get about the company and, and maybe, maybe you see things you don't like. Nextera is the opposite of that. The more you peel back the onion of Nextera, it is the, it is the best run company I've ever been around in my life. And the way Nextera goes about its business is, is, it is not an accident that that company is successful. And controlling real estate, understanding policy, optimizing capital resources, and being a phenomenal operator of just running good assets and being meticulous about building a good asset, commissioning a good asset, being a good asset manager, being a good developer. You know, I think that, that if you spend any time at Nextera, um, which I was fortunate to do, I mean, it's, it's, there isn't another way to do it besides do it well there. And, so, and then prior to that, I come from a construction and engineering background where you know, building renewable projects and building large facilities uh, in the 13 years or so before that. And so for me, it's it, you know, kind of just building things and building them well it's something I'd like you know, for mobility to be known as, 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 as the company that just does, does it right, does it well. We have the right service. We have the, we have the good service. We have good customer retention, um, and we run really good assets, and we offer a really good value proposition. Yeah, for sure. You, we can't just expect that because something has climate benefits, you can sacrifice on anything else a business has to have, right? Things like operational excellence and all the rest. It, it also seems to me as well that in the early days of solar, the pitch was, hey, look, if you're a homeowner, spend 80,000 bucks today, and guess what? We get your power mostly covered for the next 25 years. But then, as you know, that, that model evolved to, how about a PPA, a power purchase agreement, or a lease? Let's turn a CapEx into an OpEx, right? Which I think in many ways just really unlocked residential and commercial industrial. I mean, for that matter, uh, the projects built by independent power producers selling power to utilities. But that seems extra uh, relevant here where you're going to these mom and pops that don't have half a million dollars sitting around to purchase a new electric drayage vehicle, but to say to them, hey, look, don't be scared by the regulatory, cha- massive regulatory change. We got you covered. Truck as a service, right? T-A-A-S. Uh, and I think I heard you say that the, let's call it monthly cost, is at or below what it costs, fully loaded cost, to run a diesel vehicle. Is that is that right? Yeah, and that's what we strive to on all of our facilities for sure, and even more so than generation, Chris. I mean, what? And I and, you know talk to the staff here all the time, and, and we talk about it, and we just, we bang the drum on this pretty hard. Is that if your solar on the roof isn't working, it's a bummer. If your truck doesn't run, you know, you're not making a living at that. And, and that our, our need to have a phenomenally run operation is paramount to the company. And I also appreciate your PPA um, reference before, because that is how I've explained our business numerous times to both investors, regulators, mm. uh, customers, is that, you know, exactly your point. You know, 15 years ago, a solar salesman showed up at your house and they said, it's going to be $20,000 and this is how you're going to get your money back. Mm. But then you know, the PPA came along. They said, you're paying 15 cents. How does 12 sound? Um, and that's <laughs> pretty damn good. That's, yeah. a, that, that's, a, that's a much, that's a much easier and digestible value proposition mm. uh, than, than the former. And so, yes, it, it's exactly what we're striving to deliver at for mobility as well. So you gave the example of a dredge truck driver and look, if the truck doesn't work, they're not making any money, right? Pretty important that it works. 
How do you talk to them about the level of tech maturity, tech risk, if you will, in these electric versions of th- something they've already known for, for decades, probably? How do, they, how do they get comfortable with things, with the unknown, I guess, is the question. Yeah, I mean, like er- early adopters are admirable in every way. I think that everybody knows that the, the Gen 1 of anything is going to be a, a fun ride. And I think luckily we're into Gen 2s and 3s in these trucks now. And we've seen the Gen 1s and we're on the Gen 2s. What we encourage them to do is go talk to our customers. I mean, we're, we're running multiple OEMs on multiple chargers in and out of the port of Long Beach today. Those drivers are driving those trucks. That operations team um, in Long Beach, that's a company called Height Logistics, and they're an incredible company. And they are that admirable early adopter. And we encourage them to talk to them, not only talk to the management team at Height, but talk to, talk to the drivers. Because I think those drivers, they were all really skeptical. And I don't think, and what I found with, within the trucking community is that I don't think anybody's resistant to this. I don't, I think it's, it's a, in some ways it's exciting, but it's your point exactly is, but if this doesn't work, I'm, I'm really in a bad spot here. And uh, I think when they go talk to the folks at Height, they would get the full story uh, that these trucks are you know, truly delightful to drive and that they work well. And that it's, uh, I think that you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who drives an electric class eight truck who would want to go back to a diesel once they get behind a wheel. Mm. But I think that that first leap is, it's, it's no BS. It's, it's a real leap because like you said, trucking is thin margins. If your wheels aren't moving, you're not making money. And so to leave the combustion truck behind for new technology is appropriately a little scary. So to get those early adopters to say yes, was there any sweetener? Was there any uh, insurance, guarantees, backstops? Anything you, well, if it existed, anything you, you, you want to share? I know that many listeners are commercializing the first of a kind of something. Yeah. And they know that getting the first yes, the first revenue, the first POs, purchase orders is really hard. Any any insights that has worked that you want to share there? Yeah, I think there's one thing that we're really committed to as for our mobility, and I think it's unique. I'd like to think it's unique is that we spent a lot of time on what's called the cargo owners, the beneficial cargo owners. And those cargo owners are your Ashley Furniture, Ikea, Walmart, Target, Amazon, et cetera. Those are the people who have the stuff inside of those containers. REI, North Face, you think there's, there's a lot of progressive brands out there who care deeply about their scope three emissions. And so as part of our business and part of the service we provide our customers, as we are, you know, we have a team and they are dedicated to going out there and connecting cargo owners with these early adopters. And so I think it's one of the things that, you know, I think a really tangible thing that we can bring to the table a lot more than Here's a shiny brochure. This is a brand new Peterbilt. This is a Volvo. Is I've also got some folks here that want to talk to you about doing, doing some work. And they have a preference towards zero emission. And I think that's that for me is one of the best sales tools I can bring to the table. Is you know, if Chris Wedding Trucking wants to get into a zero emission truck, I say, and I'm I'm I've got some work lined up for you, or I'm working on lining up, up some work for you. I think that that is. I think that's a really important service that we need to provide, especially at the beginning of this. So just to make sure I understood that properly, I mean, you know, maybe who knows, maybe in the background I'm hatching Chris Wedding, Chris Wedding Trucking, you know, coming to a, 
Oakland near you. When you say bring business, do you mean like literally you would try to find other containers for them to carry, if you will? And then, oh, by the way, as you bring them more revenue, hey, look, can I also help you to meet this these regulatory requirements? Yeah, I think it's, again, you know, imagine you're a trucker and you're in a zero emission truck. I mean, the goal for Forum is that we have cargo owners mm. that are looking to move those containers in zero emission trucks mm. and that we are going to connect their logistics teams that are out there working with the cargo brokers and 3PLs and whoever they typically use to get containers out of the port to distribution. And we're telling those folks to come to our customers. And so if corporate X is moving widgets out of the port of Long Beach and they're moving two containers a day in and out of the port, I want them to talk to Rudy at Height Logistics. And we can point and say, he's got trucks going. He's a small fleet. He's got small operators. He's got employed drivers. He's doing it. And I think he can do it at a, at a rate that's really, really competitive. Um, and, and we've done that. We've successfully you know, paired customers with cargo owners, which again, I think it's just any little step we can make, you know, make it cost effective, take some of the risk out by you know, making sure that we have technicians on site, make it a secure lot, get a really good software interface so everybody can see where their truck is and the state of charge, and then line them up with work. I mean, there's just a lot of little things that we got to do to make sure that all these carriers who are mandated to convert feel like it's an opportunity as well. You know, it's interesting that part of what you're describing is almost a, a broker model, right? Two sides of a marketplace that need each other. Obviously, you're not a broker, but it's it's just interesting to hear you talk about stacking these different ways you create value for your ultimate customer to get them to a yes. I mean, I can imagine you you do charge for some of those provisions of value, let's say, and you you don't charge for others because you know what your core product is. Is that is that right? Yeah, I mean, you know, as a as a small business, you know, in a in a startup, like we just want happy customers. We don't, you know, we obviously would never charge our customer yeah. for an introduction to a cargo owner. Of course, yeah. Um, our 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 only desire there is to is to just get them more comfortable with making a switch and get them more comfortable with working with Forum Mobility. But you know, the core product we offer is 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 really just you know, it is a secure lot with staff. There's a charger that you is always dedicated for you. If you need to charge in the middle of the day, there is a charger waiting for you. You never have to wait in line. It's always clean. It's always secure. It's always reliable. It's a, it's a very utilitarian, you know, one price, one monthly fee. You make the transition and, you know, I hope you have a lot more money in your pocket at the end of the year for having done it than you did at the beginning. Mm. So on the finance side of things, the $400 million JV, you know, certainly a big number will be bigger, I presume, given the the Manhattan Project's you know size uh, requirements you're talking about. Again, just for the state of California, what else can you say about what motivated those? I guess you you would say asset financiers to either get comfortable with tech or business model, or maybe just to throw a million more questions into one. I think for most listeners, it's surprising that your your fixed fee all in, right? Could could be at or below diesel. So is that more, you know, is that more of a capex discussion, more of an opex reason, more of a cost of capital reason to kind of get that to be competitive? Yeah, I think you know, one, there's infrastructure and, and private equity love contracted revenue, um, and obviously, you know, the 
the revenues that we have are, are contracted and we control those assets. And I think, you know, a lot of folks know that there are a lot of ESG-minded LPs out there. And there are a lot of funds that they have a mandate or they have a strong preference to invest in environmentally conscious businesses like Forum Mobilities. And so, yeah, I think that the business itself is really well suited for that type of capital. And I also, you know, a lot of people talk about the new technology and, you know, this, this kind of bleed. Like nothing we're doing is actually particularly technologically revolutionary as a company and very intentionally. I mean, and I think that, you know, there are like are the trucks that we own are Packard trucks and BYD trucks and Volvo trucks and the chargers we're operating are name brand financeable and chargers are, are really just inverters in reverse. And, and these are, you know, assets that have been financed in, you know, in the hundreds of billions of dollars. And so what we put together is I think it's an innovative business model, but it's, it's really, really reliable technology that can attract the kind of capital that we can raise from a CBRE, IM, and homecoming capital. Because you know, obviously, you know, venture, venture money is one type of, of money. Um, it, venture money is prepared to go to zero if it has to. Um, infrastructure money is, is not. That infrastructure money needs its downside protection. And, and our model does. It, it, it you know, contracted revenues. And so the way we've set up the JV uh, and, and kind of concert with foreign mobility at a corporate level, we can really bring that kind of infrastructure-like profile cash flow to a relatively new business using, like I said, I, there's nothing revolutionary about our technology on purpose. Hmm. We're just we're putting we're putting trucks on the road using CATL batteries with name brand companies. Like this is this is pretty reliable stuff that's been that's been financed many many times over. Yeah, I think you're saying several important things here. One would be for those listeners that have a new company, there's some innovation, whether it's the tech or the business model, that, you know, to consider parallel financing, right? Corporate venture capital, let's say, and then separately infrastructure slash, you know, project financing, different kinds of cost of capital. And also seeking out contracted revenue, right? That's really increases the amount of capital you can raise, the cost of capital uh, you can raise. And really, maybe back to the first point, Business model innovation can be as catalytic as technological innovation, right? Your all's intentional choice to not have tech risk, but to do something from a a business model point of view that has not been done, certainly not been done on any scale with Dreyage, yeah? That's right. I mean, you know, and I think that there's some folks that I, and we need the technological innovation. We need new charging technologies and we need really cool software, and all that's going to be an important part of that ecosystem. We also really need to be able to attract lots of cheap capital. Yep, for sure. Um, so that, again, you know, that there is a, a bounty of options available, and those options are economic to the people making that transition. So, you know, we've elected to go with the bountiful, low-risk, lots of money raised option. Yes. Um, but, you know, don't want to take anything away from the folks that are out there taking kind of true bleeding edge technology of course um, challenges on yeah it takes both it takes both hey it's chris just a brief message from our sponsors and we'll get back to the show <laughs> just kidding we don't take sponsors on the other hand i do have the privilege of leading the only executive peer group community for growth stage ceos founders and investors fighting climate change 
With monthly group meetings, annual retreats, and one-on-one executive coaching calls, our members help each other boost revenue, impact, capital raised, clarity, confidence, work-life balance, and team effectiveness. Today's 30-plus members represent over $8 billion in market cap or assets under management for Climate Solutions. If you're interested, go to entrepreneursforimpact.com and join the waiting list today. All right, back to the show. All right, let's switch as we do from the company to the person building the company. So Matt, maybe share something that you strongly believe in, which has influenced perhaps how you how you all decided to create the company or maybe the culture uh, you're building at Forum Mobility. I, I believe that the beginning of these transitions, there is nothing more exciting than being at the front end of something. When I got into solar early days, just the thrill of the disorganization and fragmented and the insanity of the market, it's just, there, there's nothing quite like it. And it, it took me a long time personally to realize like, this is, I, I can't do the steady state business. I, I couldn't be a utility scale developer for too long. I, I have to be doing something like this. And, and to be able to do something where, you know, you can, you can have a really big impact, both I think financially and environmentally is something that I care about deeply too. I mean, I think that we are a mission-driven company, but we are equal parts mission and equal parts capitalists mm. at Forum Mobility. It is, you know, we want to solve a problem. We want to solve a, a worthy problem. I think we've identified that worthy problem to solve, but we want to also do it in a, in a way that is incredibly economically sustainable as well um, for our shareholders, for ourselves, for our customers. And so kind of building on that as a business, like, we care about the mission. We talk about the mission. I, I deeply care about the mission. I also want to deploy billions and billions of dollars mm. um, and build a massive business that's really valuable. And that's you know how we kind of talk about the business unapologetically too, because I think that that is, that is what's going to have the biggest impact is I think people who are thinking and putting themselves in the shoes of our drivers, and we talk about that all the time, and, and truly understanding you know, the, the issues at hand for the drainage fleets, we also need to put in billions of dollars of equipment and, and, and get a good rate of return on that. Well, I think you, you have a, a choir of sorts who hear you say that and say, you know, amen, totally agree. It makes me think about when I was in private equity many years ago, we were considering launching a separate environmental hedge fund. And so that required us private equity folks to learn about the hedge fund space a little more. So I recall being on the bus commuting to work, and I was reading this book, I think it's called More Money Than God, about the hedge fund space. And I recall my, let's call it delightfully liberal friends on the bus thinking, man, what kind of a sellout are you, right? All about the money. And I was like, I was like hold on a second, right? You got to understand how to move lots of, um, lots of money in the right directions to, to deliver what those investors require. But look, to do lots of good at the same time. Anyway, yes to yeah. I mean, like all people, that you said, people you know. don't. Yeah, like solar energy is now. I, I mean, in, in many many markets, the cheapest form of generation. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah, there there was a lot of capital cost improvements. Sure, it also attracts some of the cheapest and most efficient capital on the planet. It's reliable. It's stable. It doesn't move around like. The amount of money that goes into solar is why solar is so cheap now. For sure. 
And I think that, that people have to wrap their heads around that as well. When they think about you know, truly decarbonizing as a planet, we need to make this so we can attract trillions of dollars of cheap, cheap money, because that's going to turn into cheap megawatt hours and cheap miles driven and everything we need to make the transition economic and equitable. Yeah. And, we, and we, again, just to stress, we get to cheap cost of capital by reducing risks, right? Yeah. Um, Let's let's switch here. So, tell us some advice you might give your younger self, Matt. Could be personal, could be um, business. You pick. I resisted actually the finance side. I was, you know, I came in as a as a tradesman. Um, I was a, I, my first job in renewables business twenty years ago. I was an installer in uh, in Berkeley. You know, I think I I think I brushed off you know the things that made me feel uncomfortable for a long time. And you, know, you come from a private equity background, like that stuff made me feel very uncomfortable. When people were talking about levered and unlevered returns and, you know, NPV, I kind of just pushed that off as, you know, that's the folks upstairs. I, I work downstairs. I'm in the field. And, yeah, I think that I would have told myself that to throw myself into a little bit more discomfort. You know, I'm, I'm happy, you know, and I, and I think my background in the trades has served me well as a builder. Um, and just thinking about these assets, but it's, it took me a long time to kind of cross that threshold and, and look at a financial model and realize like, oh my God, this is like eighth grade math. It's just a lot of it in, <laughs> in one place um, um, with a Don't lot tell of Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Yeah. And so I think that, uh, you know, probably would have told myself to have a little more confidence in myself to take on the things that were it's always one of those things like, you know, you think something's impossible until you do it. And I'm like, oh, you know, it, it's, it's not that bad. And so I think taking some, taking some leaps of faith in myself would have been a good thing. Mm. Yeah. Someone smart who I, I don't remember who this was says something like our growth occurs basically at the edges of our comfort zone, let's say. So I think what you're saying uh, certainly supports uh, that approach. How about recommendations, Matt? Books, podcasts, tools quotes, et cetera, you think that listeners may find value in? There's a book that I, I read a long time ago. You know, I, I would guess a good percentage of people have already read it. It's, it's the book, The Alchemist. And I think that that book, that book has been a pretty big part of my life. And I think it's one of those books that a lot of people get a lot of different things. But I, everybody has that little bug and then that tells them which way to go at a fork. It tells them when to leave, a job, a relationship, a situation a place where you don't feel safe, a place where you know you're not going to excel. And I think that that book talks a lot about, you know, your happiness is dictated by whether or not you, you listen to that little voice or not. And that uh, pretty proud of forum mobility because, you know, there's partners in the business and my partners, Topher, Tom and Bobby are, are incredible. But this, this little bug told me there's a, a compulsion to start this. And I know that if I, and if I hadn't done it, that I would have regretted it forever. And, and so I think, and the alchemist is something that just, it's one of those things that pops into my head a couple times a week as mm. just, just trust your gut, like just follow that, you know, follow that voice, you know, the right way to go and just get in there and do it. So I, I've always found that to be true. I mean, I think that, and you know, a lot of my buddies and my wife and I, I try to teach my kids that, that like, you know, you know, a good situation, you know, a friendship that's, Filling your cup versus one that's empty in your cup. Mm. Um, listen to yourself. You, you're you're right. 
You just, you just got to believe it. Mm. It's so funny that you mentioned the book, uh, The Alchemist. So our, our youngest child, who's 11, partly through school, partly out of school, you know, she loves to read. She'll read 50, 60 books a year. But she, one of those she was maybe required to read was The Alchemist. <laughs> and we have two copies in the house because we like it. And I, we were so excited to be like, well, how, how was it? What'd you think? And I think her response was garbage. <laughs> <laughs> I think it takes a certain, a certain level of maturity to realize what you, what that voice is, is saying or not. And I think another nuance is if the, if the voice is, is saying like, um, it's talking about fear of what you're currently doing, right? As in like run away. I think maybe that's the voice we could ignore but if it's the fear of doing something else, which maybe is kind of a calling or better for you, and you're you're letting that fear get in the way, that's what's like. Well, that that's the fear, perhaps, to not to not to be fearless. The fear exists, but to you know to go through it. Let's say because we all have voices, right? <laughs> Some of the voices would yeah. say, "Shut the hell up, get out the door." Others, it is the voice you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's like it's 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 hard to it's hard to talk about because yeah, it's like it's the difference between being something through and knowing what it's got paid. Right. Mm. And there's nobody that can answer that. But you, I mean, like I think everybody's stayed at a job or stayed with a girlfriend or boyfriend for longer than they, they should have. And, uh, you know, they probably in hindsight, wish they would have cut bait. And then there's also things that, boy, am I happy I saw that through. And I think that's what the alchemist, you know, mm. kind of is like, you know, in your gut when you need to see something through, mm. um, you know, when you got to hang on. Uh, and 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 not cut bait, and so yeah, it's funny. Yeah, but your 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 daughter's probably just she lives by her gut every day anyway, so she doesn't she doesn't have all this this baggage that we get. It could be in our brains over decades. Yeah, it could be in Pre- the moment, present moment, baby, present moment. Yeah, just despite decades of meditation practice, it's like oh, just just be a kid, right? They're not worried about the past or future too much. Well, listen, uh, Matt, we're we're at time for, I'm sure, what is what is a, a, a meeting in two minutes uh, for you. The next the next one back to back. Listen, we are all rooting for the success of Forum Mobility and excited to, to, to watch your all's progress. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate you having on. Like I said at the beginning, I, mean, I appreciate you shining a light on Forum Mobility. We're really proud of what we're doing and uh, everything, you know, any, anytime somebody puts us up like you have, um, it really helps the business. So thank you. They're here. Thanks for listening. And if you want more intel on climate tech, better habits, and deep work, then join the thousands of others who subscribe to our Substack newsletter at entrepreneursforimpact.com. Or drop me a note on LinkedIn. All right, that's all, y'all. Take care.